Hello, and welcome to Literacy Matters. I'm your host, Cheryl Lundy-Swift, and today I'm here with Kathleen Kit Moore, a language and literacy professor at Utah State University. Kit, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's so great to talk to you. Kit, before we begin, can you tell me about your literacy journey? Well, thank you. It's been a long journey, but um, I'm still I'm still making that uh, walk. But uh, I started as a kindergarten teacher in California. It was a bilingual Spanish English program. I did that, got promoted to first grade, uh, and eventually taught uh, many years of first grade. Bilingual, gifted, regular, uh, very, very uh, special time for me as, a, as an educator. I uh, wanted to change and move to third grade. So I taught, um, you know, that beginning reading and then hopefully that transitional reading and writing, uh, very good experiences in California. Uh, I moved to Texas and was an ESL teacher coordinator for several years as well. So I spent 15 years in the classroom and during that time, I really became interested in what do we know, what do we do, for whom, for how long, and what does the research really tell us about um, effective and efficient instruction, especially for the children who may need the most help or uh, support in, that, uh, in their own journeys. So uh, 15 years in the classroom, in that process, I got a few graduate degrees and ended up at the university and have been doing that work since. Again, as you said, uh, I see myself as a professor of language and literacy development and uh, really look at these important um, competencies from a developmental cognitivist view. In other words, we've been given these fabulous brains uh, to do marvelous things and um, trying to understand those processes should inform instruction. I love that. What a journey it has absolutely been. And, you know, Kit, you know, we've had our own journey at Learning Without Tears and it all began with our founder, Jan Olson, who's an occupational therapist who's helped millions of students improve their print and cursive handwriting so they could use more of that brain power that you mentioned to focus on the content of their, their thoughts, their opinions, um, their ideas, right, instead of focusing on the mechanics. But a lot of people don't really think of handwriting as a part of literacy instruction. But you happen to think that, right? Could you tell us why handwriting is an important part of early literacy instruction? Wow, it just it just goes with all the other components for um, an integrated uh, mechanism. So if if we see humans as uh, these marvelous language users producers we would want um, <clears throat> the oral language development and then eventually written language production. And that production relies on some very basic transcription skills. That's what the researchers call both handwriting and spelling. And we know that without fluent handwriting, uh, it's really hard to get ideas down on paper and uh, be able to think about what you want to say, how you want to say it, and, and be able to communicate that. So uh, people, people think handwriting has gone by the wayside because of technology, but the research indicates it's still a fundamental skill that actually works to reinforce letter names, uh, the sound correspondences, and orthographic 
uh, memory for words. In other words, how do words work and look and how are they spelled? So what they call handwriting fluency is sort of a platform on which we build then the more sophisticated uh, orthographic or literacy skills. And the research is showing that it's really very important still that uh, students' brains work better if they learn to write the letters as they learn the names, the sounds, they figure out <clears throat> the shapes and how to get those down and practice that to the point where their cognitive resources, what you call brain power, can be applied to other things. So uh, we, we don't want students to be um, word calling or decoding words, but then not be able to also get them down on paper. So that interaction between the letter sounds, the names, uh, the shapes, and I would say even the stroke sequence has been shown to improve or correlate uh, how quickly students can name letters, how quickly they can decode words. So there's something in this nexus in the brain that helps students solidify uh, their knowledge of how the written code uh, is working. And they've seen it across languages uh, even in uh, logographic languages like Chinese, that letter stroke and character, what they call character uh, stroke sequences reinforces what they know about that letter. So uh, I wouldn't want students to go without that fundamental um, skill because it helps them write faster and then they have something to say and they can get it down on paper. We know that students who have better handwriting write more, they get better grades for their writing, they're uh, more enthusiastic about being writers. So I, I think we need to find the time, make the time and incorporate handwriting instruction as part of the program. Wow, kid, that's, that's fascinating. And you know, you mentioned that whole time piece, finding the time, you know, our teachers and school leaders are tired. <laughs> And, you know, and I often hear that they just don't have the time to add one more thing to their day. And that really includes handwriting. So how can handwriting really be embedded into early literacy instruction without it feeling burdensome or feeling like a waste of you know, precious time? Well, I acknowledge that teachers are asked to do a lot of things and that some of the students uh, whom they serve uh, can, <clears throat> can be inattentive, uh, you know, a little squirrely, hard to manage at times. And so they are strained by time and priorities as well as maybe student behavior to implement all the things they would want to in a classroom. However, I would caution teachers to seriously think, can they afford not to include handwriting as a fundamental way to consolidate, I use that word again, um, some people say instantiate into the brain these uh, fundamentals of being literate. And so the challenge is how to maybe um, overlap activities so that they have a little more handwriting to them uh, and, re and really look at what they're doing elsewhere. So if their phonemic awareness uh, program is moving along, is there a way they can extend that uh, to, to working with uh, some kind of medium and paper, 
to practice strokes or motions just to develop the hand muscles and visual acuity? Um, or can they decide that um, their spelling program could overlap with, with uh, a handwriting practice? But perhaps most importantly, I think teachers have to find a way as they introduce letters, their names, their sounds and teach those sound uh, correspondences and then teach that shape, you know, the sequence of the strokes and do that, I think in relatively short time, but it's essentially phonics with a bonus uh, where they're teaching the phonics and decoding and they're highlighting the letters, their shapes, where they begin, where they end, how they're made and doing that, whether it's simple as letter writing or um, scripting on the back of another student or um, tracing, but finding ways that handwriting, it's not just sit down and write all the letters, um, but rather various media to allow students to practice this knowing at the same time, it's reinforcing, uh, especially if you're saying the name of the letter, you're talking about the stroke sequence, you're highlighting things, you know, what makes this letter hard to write? Uh, how, do, um, how do we do it so it's efficient? Uh, those kinds of directives, what they call oral directives about the letter, I think can be incorporated into the same phonics instruction that they're probably trying to provide. That's really awesome. And you know, one of the things that's great about uh, learning without tears, you know, we have so many ways that we incorporate that our handwriting without tears program, for example, just says, hey, 10 to 15 minutes a day is going to make a tremendous difference in students' confidence, but also ability to be able to form those letters um, and also to be able to identify those letters for that matter when, when we're thinking about reading. So that, uh, what, what are you finding in the research in terms of timing? How much time do we need? Well, um, I'd, I'd like to answer the first, the last part and then go back to something you said. But um, yeah, I found that if even eight to 10, 10 to 12, less than 15 minutes a day, depending on how efficient your little package is and not all letters are created equal. So sometimes uh, the more challenging letters might merit a little bit more time and attention. So I think it can be very efficient and um, is really probably sitting there waiting to be, um, you know, maximized by teachers in, in what they do. And I think it could enliven the instruction to have some of these uh, handwriting, more handwriting oriented activities interspersed. But I wanna point out something that uh, struck me when I was a teacher that maybe teachers don't realize about handwriting um, and, and letters in general. When, before children come to school, they live and function in a three-dimensional world. You know, a chair is a chair, whether it's upside down, upside right, on its side, it's a chair. When students come to school, they are confronted with print and print is not three-dimensional. So a B is a B. If it's the other way around, it's not a B. And um, so that's an adjustment cognitively for young children that no longer is an entity um, dependent. Well, an entity is with, without dependence on its orientation is what we say, right? Sure. So they come to school and they have to realize, oh, when the back is, 
is here first and then the belly, it's a B. If there's a belly and then a back, it's not a B, it's a D. So handwriting helps that visual spatial orientation to print that um, students need. And many teachers don't really stop to think about that um, they know what a chair is regardless of what orientation it's in, but they have to readjust and can to the fact that um, print has orientation and handwriting and good instruction of it can help that. And then they quickly realize in two dimensions on a piece of paper, uh, where those strokes start, what direction they go, and where they end are important. And handwriting does that while they're learning the letters, their names, their sounds, and maybe some, some functions or rules about letters, depending on the uh, sophistication of the phonics instruction. I love that. We have, we have several uh, workshops that we've done, some professional learning um, that we, we've done to really talk about that paradigm shift Mm -hmm. uh, from from those three dimensional kinds of things uh, to letters, so so those are definitely available on our website. And we we use at Learning Without Tears, in our in our handwriting without tears program, we use things like, for example, um, the letter D that you mentioned. So B mm -hmm. and D, you know, D is a magic C letter. So we start with a okay. magic C first, right? And so whereas you know a, a b is a um a diver letter so it dives down right you know right. It, 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 it turns in from an h into a b so you know h is for honey b uh things that we use to really support children in really understanding and holding on to those kinds of things now when we think about kit really helping children become proficient readers and writers you know obviously we think about phonemic awareness and we think about phonics how does focusing on handwriting support phonemic awareness skills and phonics learning? Well, I think that's a, a big topic. Yes. Um, <laughs> and there, the recent research is, is, I think, very impressive and very supportive of this integrated multimodal approach. Um, but I'll just harken back to my early days. Um, in a sense, writing is applied phonics. So if children can um, write the words that they're learning to read phonetically at first and so forth, um, it really shows they can apply those sound letter sound correspondences. So I'm a, I'm a believer in having kids uh, build words and then write words relatively quickly and in alignment with their phonics instruction. So, um, that process they have found that slowing down and mentally retrieving um, a letter by letter to, to write down a word uh, reinforces the name of the letter, the sound that it represents and uh, how it's working in the word. So I would want my instruction to enable students to write along with their reading competency. And there are just some programs uh, or instructional decisions that separate reading and writing. And then you end up with students who read relatively well, but they're really behind in getting that on paper. So I think that's unfortunate because I think they should develop in tandem, which means you have to have an early uh, focus on handwriting itself so that that 
that scratching out on paper becomes efficient and fluent. And then, um, and at the same time in doing that, they develop some legible handwriting that people can read and appreciate, and they feel confident about getting words down on paper and then have something to say that should enhance their, their writer identities and enable them to, as I said, develop these skills um, together rather than well apart. And that's one unfortunate occurrence in, in the focus on phonemic awareness and phonics that some people have left out handwriting and I think disservice the, um, the way th those, those fundamental skills should grow together. Sure. I, I love what you said. Handwriting is phonics applied, which is, you know, <laughs> applied phonics. That's, that's, a really, that's, that's certainly a wonderful uh, soundbite. I, I love that. Um, you mentioned also this multimodal uh, learning, right? And learning without tears, that's one thing that we have done really masterful, mm -hmm. right? We've really, um, you know, I think all of our materials really make teaching and learning easy and fun um, because we use uh, multimodal approaches uh, to teaching and learning. How does a multimodal approach really apply to integrating handwriting into effective reading instruction? Wow, that's a that's a a hefty question. So um, let me see how I would respond in for teachers. Okay, let try to to keep in mind. So your question is, how does a multimodal approach? Support, is that what you said? Apply to integrating handwriting into reading instruction, but support would also work there too. Yeah. Um, well, again, I think, I think handwriting is necessary and I think it's doable. And I actually think it diversifies maybe our instruction. I mean, teachers get into, into ruts sometimes or routines and we know that routines can be very helpful, especially for beginners. So I'm not disparaging, you know, the use of this is what we do today and we do it tomorrow and we do it another day. Uh, fortunately, programs such as yours help teachers, well, free teachers from doing the, the scope and sequence planning and um, thinking of, oh, what am I going to do tomorrow? So given that um, support, that facilitation, I think teachers can then say, how do I enliven my instruction? And so um, looking at the visual, the motoric, even um, the oral, like, tell me how to, how to, how should I make my letter S, you know, give me some pointers. I think there are ways that teachers can help students really think about what they're doing. And then that oral repetition, the the handwriting practice in fun ways um, can enliven their structure, instruction overall. And then again, reinforce what they've already taught about phonics. They're practicing phonemic awareness when they're sounding out a word. If I dictate a word to a student like lamp, uh, the student has to mentally retrieve lamp. Oh, that, yeah, I know that word. That's, I know that thing. And how do I get that down on paper? And they have to retrieve, hear the sound, identify it, isolate it, recall the 
the letter that represents it, and then even the stroke or, or how that letter is configured. Uh, I, I hope teachers can see that's essentially rehearsing phonemic awareness, phonics, and then getting it down on paper. And um, I've done this with students in a variety of ways. I'm very, um, I'm very fond of letter and word building um, and students like it. <laughs> and you don't always have to be pencil to paper to make this happen. You can do it in fewer minutes, probably more words in fewer minutes if they're constructing words, but in a way you could still make it handwriting. They could trace that, that word that they built. So if I've dictated lamp and they have some letters in front of them and they build that word lamp and they account for the letters there, I can ask questions about, you know, which, which are the vowels and how many consonants and let's trace that. And, um, you know, which letter has the most parts. This overall awareness of how the system works, I think is um, sort of the goal of strong multimodal integrated instruction. And at the same time, it should be lively and varied in the activities. And I know programs like yours strive to uh, share ideas and suggestions for teachers, and then hopefully they can see it working with their students and continue to do it. Interestingly, this just came to mind, um, even, even research on the program um, Handwriting Without Tears, uh, these interventions in some cases were done in nine weeks. So it doesn't have to be every day, all the time, the whole year, but certainly uh, a lot can be accomplished in a relatively concerted um, effort to teach handwriting and get those uh, skills sufficiently efficient so that students can uh, work with them. And again, hopefully the, uh, the outcome would be reading and writing progress in tandem in a relatively short time. Uh, it's just that we receive a variety of students who have variable competencies and sometimes we have to figure out, well, who really needs this? I think beginning students all benefit from a good uh, in, instructional uh, program in handwriting, and then it pays off. It pays off uh, later on. Um, and even with today's students, I still go into classrooms and work with students. And, uh, you know, they may balk at, at having to do handwriting, but actually we can make it fun and they start seeing its value and seeing themselves as more competent. I love that. Um, and that's, it, it's so true. Um, I, I find that it builds their confidence for sure. Um, and like you said, they, they write more. And, and I think one of the things that's really um, great about our own program is that we, while again, you need those nine weeks, as you mentioned, uh, some of those studies are done. Um, it's, it's quick to teach it, but it, it also is handwriting all year. Like it's mm -hmm. a skill that you're gonna use on a regular basis. And if you need to do some recursive review, you can go back yeah. and do some of those things, which I think is really important. Now you mentioned earlier that a lot of your background is with uh, multilingual learners. Mm -hmm. And I'd love to know how handwriting and phonemic awareness and phonics learning, how they would support a child who is a multilingual learner. Well, again, I felt that as a cognitivist, that all the students, regardless of their first language, 
um, deserved a good solid introduction to the written code of English. Um, uh, and in some cases, you know, Spanish, if that were the other language, but they're alphabetic languages and they're based on um, a finite set of letters. And we have to remember that we're asking five and six-year-olds to figure out 52 new symbols when they're in school. Um, and that, that sheer number of letters, if you count um, lowercase and uppercase, there is some work to be done there. Um, but I felt that my English language learners had a sense, because they didn't really read yet or write well in their first language, that English was just this massive system, so many words to learn. So they looked long, they looked strange, and um, they really didn't have their, their first language phonetics sorted out because they hadn't received formal instruction. And I think they just saw the system as wildly arbitrary and massive. So when I introduced a letter, its name, its sound, you know, with, with the programs that um, we had adopted and had them saying the letter name, practicing the sound, making a strong association, and then teaching them how to write the letter all the time, reinforcing the name, the sound, its, its makeup, if you will. Uh, I think they saw that as a very doable approach. And um, Spanish being a phonetic language, um, they were pretty quick to, to pick up that these letters, and they were glad to know that they, they, they didn't have to guess. They didn't have to just memorize all the words in the English language. They could become uh, problem solvers with this, this new language. And the letters and their sounds and their shapes were the little components or the keys to mastering what they thought was um, an intimidating system. So um, I remember working with a third grader. She had been sent to me because she was not yet reading well in English, although her English fluency seemed pretty strong. Um, but she had not been taught phonics, so she was just trying to remember every word she could see and it wasn't working so well, sure, gave sure. her some phonics instruction. And, and she told me, she said, why didn't people tell me this? This, <laughs> this makes sense. So I guess there are enough logical minds out there that appreciate, give me the keys and, and we'll open the door and I can walk through. And she was just so impressed that there actually was a system that could be mastered in relatively short time, um, even for a third grader. but um, we, we shouldn't expect English language learners then to figure out the system on their own. I think it's, it's unfair. It's unprofessional to say, I know how this system works, but I'm not going to share it with you. And I'm not going to give you sufficient practice, uh, what I would call progressive practice, to come up to speed with this language. Um, and so the other thing that I noticed with English language learner is really the segmenting that goes on with writing words down or the decoding um, really uh, help their pronunciation of English words because they were attending to the parts and the individual phonemes. And so they became more precise. And of course, if you can do that in decoding a word you've never seen before, uh, certainly when you're writing that, that careful attention to the sounds, the phonemes, 
in sequence and so forth um, makes you far more accurate and successful. So I think it's just that extra attention to how the uh, orthographic system in English works. It is doable. It can be daunting, but I think a strong program and explicit instruction, which is what the research shows, can really help give these students the foundation that they deserve. Yes, how powerful to share the system. And I love your analogy to giving them the keys so that they could walk through the door. So finally, what are some practical ways that teachers can integrate handwriting into early reading instruction? Well, of course, that's, that's the gem, isn't it, Cheryl? Um, and, and there are a lot of there are a lot of other people's professional educators out there, you know, with their recommendations. So uh, I'll, I'll name some and maybe highlight a few, but uh, I think it is kind of fun to think of um, physically interactive ways to uh, practice handwriting and, and then to develop it. Uh, just a couple things. We have to realize that uh, occupational therapists, uh, like the founder of your program, have really looked at students. And we know that up approximately 25, 30, maybe up to 40 percent of students struggle with handwriting. So this is not a small minority of students that, you know, we hope somebody will catch and fix along the way. This is a significant number. And we know that it, they don't, those problems don't usually resolve on their own. They need instruction and why not? Uh, provide that to all of our young uh, literacy learners. So there are things like uh, how a student holds a pencil and, uh, you know, how situated must the student be in the chair at, to, to achieve um, good handwriting, legible handwriting. And some people get very, um, very strict about that. I think for the most part, we, do, we don't want to perpetuate bad habits and some students because they were given markers when they were 18 months have developed some bad habits. Um, just as an analogy, I used to teach children swimming and swimming is a, a motoric, a, a physiological kinesthetic um, combination of skills, just like handwriting. Sure. And when, when I taught students who had never really been in the pool, of course, there was some coaxing and encouraging that was required. But I also had students who had indoor pools in their homes. <laughs> and frankly, they were harder to teach to swim well than the, the newbies because they had picked up such bad habits flopping around um, the family pool. So like like swimming, handwriting, I think it's better if we give them good, clean, clear instruction that they don't develop, you know, a, a really inefficient grip, um, paper placement, and those kinds of things. So I think uh, programs can help say this is this is what research seems to show makes for better handwriting. Let's try to do it well from the start. But in that process, um, there are a couple things. I. I used to teach handwriting and I would uh, emphasize the five S's. Maybe you could guess what some of them are, but um, I think instruction has to target letter shape. That's the first S in my book, but 
they have to target shape or what some people call form because that's what distinguishes an M from an H or a, you know, a W from a V. So they have to pay attention to shape and that can be done, you know, on the, do we have any chalkboards? But you know, on the whiteboard, uh, in sand, uh, in dry jello, there are lots of media that you could do this. Uh, Cornstarch um, with water where the, they can just get the feel of the letter, paying attention to its parts and its sequence. Uh, so I think there are a lot of kinesthetic things that can happen. People use sandpaper letters, bubble wrap letters, where they're feeling the shape. And um, not all students need a lot of that, but it can enliven instruction to, um, to students. One of my favorites was um, we worked hard in our classroom and we were busy. And by Friday, the desks were kind of grimy. So on Friday afternoon for handwriting, uh, I would put shaving cream, plop some shaving cream on the top of that dirty desk and then instruct them to, you know, write their names and then write, you know, uh, Monday or what other words should we write or practice this new letter. Um, and in the process, we cleaned all the desk and I was a hit uh, with the janitor. So <laughs> the students liked it. It was something different. and. Um, that that even the first, second, third graders kind of like that notion that they're cleaning the desk, practicing their handwriting and getting a little goopy there on, on Friday afternoon. Sure. Um, so we would talk about shape and, and how that was important. And then when students had the shapes of the letters, then uh, of course we have to get size, you know, that there are tall letters and short letters and we have to attend to that. And sometimes those can meld together. Uh, I, uh, in uh, the, the emphasis that I gave, then we looked at um, what some people call alignment or stance or really um, how the letters sit on lines because that matters too. And um, so we did shape, size, um, their stance. Sometimes I called it that, but where they are on the line. But we have to worry about spacing which is an issue for children. And that can be a helpful indicator if, if a child's having difficulty. If letters are on top of letters um, and crossing over or some letters are huge and other letters are small, those are indicators that maybe more work needs to be done there. And then of course we wanted to move to, uh, if it were cursive, slant as an S and, and eventually speed. And so you need enough activities to make this a fluent process. So eventually teachers have to be concerned about handwriting speed. But anyway, I don't know if that's answered your questions. Those are a few things. I, um, as your program does, introduce letters by their stroke sequence or do they start in the same place? Do they, do they start as one letter and then um, turn into another like, like a G? You know, it starts like a C and then sort of becomes more like an A and then we have that tail and so forth. I think that oral directive, those descriptions of the letters can be very, very helpful. Um, and would you, would you, Kit, would you, as you're doing a reading instruction, would you incorporate these kinds of things? Um, well, as a cognitivist, I think teachers should be good cognitive coaches, which means they're, they're evidencing their thinking 
so that the students can hear that and see that in action. So if they're talking about making the letter, um, telling where it starts and where it goes and, and uh, how it should hit lines or, or sit on lines, however the program might describe this, because good work has been done to give the verbal directions or instructions that uh, can help students. Um, and I then love I love that because it basically allows them to be more metacognitive as well. Exactly. Yeah. About their own thinking. Yeah. Yeah. It helps them be aware. And so uh, I'll share. This was a fairly recent example of a student. So I was asked to come into a first grade, a first grade classroom and work with the lowest, well, the weaker, most needy writers in that group. And there were nine students from a first grade classroom. That's a lot to be considered sort of behind the group and needing extra attention. And they all needed some work on handwriting because they were essentially carving out letters sort of kind of on a paper and not really composing anything yet. They weren't generating text because they were carving out letters. And so we did some handwriting practice. And one of the activities was um, not tedious work, but let's say write write four S's or four K's in this case it was. And we talked about the letter, the name, its sound, maybe some words it starts with to reinforce um, the, the phonics of it. And then they were, tell me how to make it, where do you start, you know, just to rehearse what they had been taught. And then they wrote four or five on a, on a piece of paper. And I said, now take a look at your K's. Um, which ones do you think is your very best? And um, this, these kids, I said, circle or put a box. And, and putting the box is helpful because they see how all letters really um, should fit into a rectangular box. Short box, tall box, but um, the boxes should not vary too much in size uh, across letters. So they were making their box around their best. And then I said, so which one not your best? And say. So, uh, why isn't, you know, what, what happened? And I remember this little first grader and he's looking at his case and he's, he's boxed up his vest. And then he looks and he, he points to this K. I said, so not so good. He said, not my best. And I said, what's wrong with it? And he says, it's kind of wrinkly. <laughs> so he realized that those straight lines that are intended to compose a uh, a K were, were crooked. So I thought that was insightful. So even a first grader, a lower achieving writing first grader could self-assess and realize what it takes to make a good K. And hopefully that would improve. So I said, well, make another good K um, that's not so wrinkly. And in pretty quick terms, he was able to, to remediate his K writing. That is an incredible story. I love that idea. And I love the fact that the children really, uh, when using this kind of um, technique, if you will, while you're teaching reading instruction, it really allows for them again to self-assess, to really think mm -hmm. about their own thinking. I, I love that. And I know, um, Kit, you are going to actually be writing a blog for us that really kind of highlights a lot of this um, research base that we're talking about. So I'm super excited um, to possibly work with you on that and um, and to get that into, into our listeners' hands as well. It has been an absolute pleasure learning from you today and talking to you about this most important topic. 
Well, Cheryl, thank you so much for this opportunity. I do get excited about what I think is effective and efficient instruction uh, for students. And, and I commend teachers who are out there trying to make it all happen yeah. for our youngsters, but also want to encourage them to consider ways to what I would say, sophisticate or elevate their instruction. And I think more integration of handwriting uh, could be really powerful for their early literacy uh, programs. Awesome. Thank you so very much, Kit. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you.